the Empire podcast this week, we dive under the silver lake with Andrew Garfield. It's as if, like, Mikey from The Goonies is far too old to still be going on adventures, but now he's in a David Lynch film that's <laughs> set in a Los Angeles that's the antithesis of the La La Land Los Angeles. Plus the usual movie news and nonsense on the movie podcast that is barely holding it together after that Avengers trailer. Oh my God! If anyone has a time machine and wants to take me straight to April 26th, I can offer you in return. Let me just check here. Uh, I've got five pounds and half a packet of chewing gum. So... I'll take it. Yes. Hello, Pod. I'm Helen O'Hara. Welcome to the Empire Podcast. Our quiz was held up, hanging with a huge A-list star today. So I'm subbing in like Captain Marvel turning up to make up for the lack of, well, half the Avengers. Uh, You're doing very well, Helen. Thanks. Wait, what? Where did you get here? (laughs) Sorry. And he's eating a sandwich as well. Yes. So You are nothing if not professional. So it turns out that we were actually delayed starting this podcast due to someone else, and Chris had time to turn up in the meantime, but I'd already written the script, so... That's Helen's very polite way of saying I was nearly half an hour late. As you can hear, I'm joined by several colleagues of such lethal cunning. Uh, first up, we have a man who wouldn't stop banging on about the Pilot TV podcast, even when we marooned him in space. So he's our very own Iron Man. That's good, good, it's good, good, good. It's very good. Yeah. This yes. is way more thought than I used to put I know. <laughs> this is what a real intro is like, Chris. <laughs> anyway, Helen, you, you're doing great, Helen. I'm not even here. Carry on. Stop backseat podding. Jesus. I'm not, I'm not here. It's absolutely unbearable, isn't it? It really is. Well, that kind of recognition of a female colleague's skills, it's a bit like Thor, isn't it? It's Chris Hewitt. <laughs> wow. I know, right? I've had to de-bicep myself. <laughs> That's amazing. Thank you. And finally, we have uh, a quiet man, a man who may not have been on the last episode, but who's going to play a big role this time. And he has a great haircut. He's our own Hawkeye. <laughs> it's John Nugent. Hello. I should point out, I don't have a mohawk. No, um, no. That's not that sort of haircut. No, it's definitely not. I it's should not. also point out, I was here five minutes early. Um, just, just want to <laughs> make that clear. I would like to acknowledge that you were. That is true. Thank you. So we are going to kick things off with a question. We're going to leave Avengers aside for a moment and kick off with a question. And it comes from Galactus Action, a.k.a. Nick. And the question is, what's the best comic book film adaptation that isn't a superhero story? He votes, he says, for American Splendor. I suppose it could be a female Nick. I apologise if so. But that is his or her vote. Mm. So this is something I've been thinking about a lot recently because of reasons. Um, uh, there's a lot of love for Ghost World, isn't there? A lot of people love Ghost yeah. World. I wasn't a massive fan of it. First one we ever saw Scott Hansen in. So okay. that, was a, that was the thing. Uh, the crow Does the crow count? It's not a superhero, technically. And I'm a big fan of the comic, and I love the film. Mm. So I'm going with the crow, even though he has superpowers, because he's not really a hero. What, how do you distinguish him and Venom in that case? Venom. 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 Oh, that's John's favourite thing. Uh, I, yeah, I got nothing. I got nothing. I just like the crow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Crowbarring in the crow. Oh, crowd, good, it? good, yes. Um, are we allowed to, we're not allowed Scott Pilgrim? Oh, that, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that, that's yeah. good. That's a good choice. Um, no, can I can I change mine and have Scott Pilgrim? Well, no, he's got Scott that's Pilgrim. My, that's stuck. my choice. Yeah. I <sighs> see. This is one I was going back and forth a bit about myself because I was like, you know, superheroic things happen. Possibly. I mean, it's got a Superman and a Captain Marvel and a and a Captain America in it, so you know, it is stuffed with superheroes, even if it isn't a superhero movie. Yeah, certainly the number of there is a, a, a high number of superhero previous and post superheroes in the film there's a human torch as well oh yeah captain marvel of captain america lego robin as well <laughs> <laughs> who voices lego robin michael sarah yeah, yeah, yeah very yes. good. didn't know that see learning there you, go. you don't do yes. that in chris's pods no it's okay. true a guilty as charged your honor <laughs> what was the question i wasn't listening best non-superhero comic no, book listening. yeah you wouldn't you would uh, be interested in that uh, yeah ghost world is a great shout uh also while we're on the subject of daniel clovis uh did anyone see wilson the Woody Harrelson movie that came out a couple of years ago. It's a lovely character study of this dude in his late 40s, early 50s. Just slowly, his life's not really worked out that well. He's a bit of a slacker. He's a bit of an arsehole. But beginning to get his life together, slowly but surely. Really, really sweet, really funny. I did not so, see that, but yeah. I will check it but, out. Yeah, Scott Pilgrim is a great shout. Yeah. I'm guessing superhero is Marvel, DC, Dark Horse. Um, if it doesn't come Vertigo, from, from that. all those. Yeah, Vertigo, yeah. 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 How, how about like Hellboy? Constantine. I'm saying Hellboy isn't a superhero. Dark Horse. Don't be ridiculous. No, but, but the, the imprint is irrelevant. You know what I mean? I don't think like Marvel would be fine if it's not a superhero comic, because it's not all their comics are superhero. Yeah, but then we get into, like, is Batman a superhero? Because he doesn't have superpowers. <laughs> no, but he is a superhero. He's literally a superhero. He just doesn't have powers. 
But Hellboy's, oh, that, you know, a demon. Super, you a know. demon detective. That's fine. I feel like we're splitting hairs in the wrong way here somehow. I just, it's weird. Anyway, I was going to say Road to Perdition. Or, oh, yes, that's oh, yeah. good. Good, good Or job. Persepolis. Ooh, like mm, Persepolis. How yeah. you didn't say, and you were on set of this movie, yeah. 300. I wasn't on set 300. <laughs> Gosh. Abs up the wazoo. Oh, so they are many super abs. abs. Like, not just, like, they had abs, but then they'd, like, painted abs yeah. on top of they their abs, their abs, had abs. <laughs> to increase the abosity of the abs. Yes, I think it's abjectness, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> Stop abjectifying the cast of Babel. <laughs> but that was the weird thing, because they'd all clearly been working out, like, demons, right? I mean, they had Do demons work out, Helen? Demons do work out, Chris. We're back to hell, boy. Yeah, well, because hell is basically a gym. <laughs> that I believe, yeah. 100%. So, One with the showers where you don't have the cubicles yes. and, and other <gasps> prison showers. Johnson. Oh, I just, I'm no. not, I don't yeah. like that. Be mm. good in this life or you will end up at fitness first. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Um, just on a Men Frank Miller tip, oh, Men yeah. in Black is a good one. Uh, also, Sin City. I like the first film. Shoot me. First okay. film's great. Oh, everyone likes the first film. Yeah. I'm not wild about it myself. I can't but... say I've ever been ur- had the urge to go back to yeah. it in the last but, but 10 But I recognise it's a great film. Yeah. yeah. That's fair. Yeah, I should have said 300. You're right. That's a great it's movie. It's almost as if we don't prepare for these things. It's, it's almost like we do this <laughs> off the top of our heads uh, with no preparation whatsoever. Uh, wildly Snowpiercer as well. Snowpiercer. Which you can now see in this country. Which you can finally hmm. see in this country. It's yep. on... Uh, some kind of streaming yep. service. Wasn't it, on UK iTunes. Wasn't it on Amazon as well, or Netflix? One of those. It's on I, a streamer as well as iTunes, I think. It might be on Amazon. I'm pretty sure it's not on Netflix. Anyway, if I'm wrong, I apologise. <laughs> Please check all of your streaming devices to make sure. I've got, I've got you beat. I've got you beat. Okay, bring it. Avengers: Infinity War. <laughs> I don't know if you guys know about this. Movie. Never heard of it. Uh, it's a little independent film. Came out last year. Great cast, mm. really good cast. Is that guy from Snowpiercer in it? The guy from Snowpiercer, oh isn't my it? God, Chris Evans, yes. the one, yeah, he doesn't need a baby this time, but uh, yeah. he's totally in the film. Robert Downey Jr. is in it. Benedict Cumberbatch, Tom Holland, Scarlett Johansson. It's an embarrassment of riches. Wow! And it's about this group of people who come together to fight this big purple dude. It's so much better than is I that a sound. metaphor? It sounds like a metaphor. It is. It could be a metaphor. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? But yeah, go and check out Avengers Infinity War. It's really, really great. And I believe there are some other films that are connected to it. Wow. As well. well, thanks for standing up for the little guy there, Chris. Um, I'd also like to throw in a mention for The Adventures of Tintin. Yes, really. Because <laughs> A, I really loved those comics as a kid. And also B, I find it interesting. If you watch it in 3D, I find it really, really interesting in the, in the same way that Hugo was really good, which I guess is arguably a graphic novel because there's a lot of pictures in that book. But it shows you that really good directors just know what to do with 3D in a way that really bad directors don't. Mm. Um, and I very much enjoyed watching Spielberg play with 3D that way. Especially in the chase scene, which was amazing. Well, of course, Helen, having been on set for that and sitting with Stephen while he made the film, I can, of course, concur. Yes, I seem to remember you pulling rank and insisting that you had to go to that, and I couldn't be spared from the site, James. <sighs> what what, what can I Helen? 300, I Helen. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah. saw the abs. He, did. he didn't want to go on 300, Chris. I mean, you say that. No. <laughs> wow. Well, that's a revelation. Okay, well, I feel like we've hopefully answered that question. We've given like 16 different answers, and obviously the right answer is... Avengers Infinity War! Avengers Infinity War, barely a superhero in sight. (laughs) So, if you'd like to have your question read out in the Empire podcast and treated with that kind of forensic insight, uh, you can send us it via Twitter, where we are at Empire Magazine. Use the hashtag Empire Podcast or we won't see it. Uh, We're on Facebook, also as Empire Magazine. I know it lacks originality. And on email, we are podcast at empireonline.com. Com. That's correct. All right, time now for some movie news. I mean, there wasn't any this week, was there really? No trailers dropped, no nothing? Bit of a dead week, really. Mm, yeah. Should we go home? Probably yeah. should. All right, see you guys later. <laughs> oh, wait, hang on. Oh. There were a couple of trailers. Uh, first up, there was an Avengers Endgame trailer. Uh, what the fuck is Avengers Endgame? <laughs> Well, you know that little. I might. It might be related to that one you just mentioned. I don't Ooh. know for sure. Oh, cool! I, I like it's possible. that. I didn't think they were making a sequel because the bad guy wins at the end. What? Yeah. Spoilers. That was <laughs> Hashtag Team Thanos. <laughs> oh yeah. Of course you are. Yes. Yeah. That's not surprising. I saw somebody on Twitter say, "What if Thanos wins in Endgame as well?" We can but hope. <laughs> I hadn't, hadn't even considered. Mm. Like he could. Maybe he kills everyone, and that's it. And that's. 
Well, it would be very easy to win, wouldn't it? All he has to do is just keep clicking his fingers and just reduce the Avengers by half each time. Yeah. That's all he has no. to do until eventually there's only like half a Steve Rogers left. So what you're saying is we just need Still to Still better than a whole somebody else. Which half, eh? Am mm. I right? Am I right? No. Yeah. Um, what do we think? Well, Helen, you and I will be discussing this in great detail. We will, yes. In a podcast people will be able to listen to before this one. <laughs> hey, so, so if you haven't listened to that yet, please get on Yeah. It. Please yep. do. Uh, so I'll probably save everything for that. But okay. uh, yeah, pretty good. Liked it. Two thumbs up. Mm. And uh, yeah, that bit at the end with Carol Danthors uh, was very, very cool. That was cute. I it like was, that. Yeah. I still maintain that most of this, the majority of this probably still comes from the first 20 minutes of the movie. Still don't think we're seeing anything close to spoilerific. And even if we were, they are Trixie Hobbitses and I wouldn't trust a word of it. So It's also abstract as well. So I mm-hmm. think even stuff that might be from a final battle, if there is even indeed a final battle, you know, you get glimpses and shots and it doesn't lay anything out really. We're still no closer. All we know is that the Avengers are pissed off and want to settle the score mm. with the big purple guy. It's almost like their name sort of reflects the way they're feeling right now. Huh. Yeah. But it was interesting, you know, how much of the footage was from, like, flashbacks yeah. to the, the original origin movies, you know, in black and white. Although, and curious, curiously, they didn't have time to find footage from The Incredible Hulk. I don't know. No. <laughs> I, think that film, that. Yeah. I think that film's actually been lost. Yeah. I, don't, I don't believe any copies of it still exist at Marvel HQ. I, I've got some. I've got some. No, I can, no. I, I, I think you guys up. I think if you, if, if you actually put the disc in the machine, you'll find it's white. <laughs> they should have used Norton antivirus. Norton oh. antivirus. Norton Ed. Norton. No, we get it. We. Get- um, I very much enjoyed the uh, the sequence at the end where Thor holds up his hand for the axe, which struck me as an answer to a very specific question. No, which uh, no. I thought was good. No, I mean I'm not saying what that question is. I'm just saying in his head he clearly asked a question, stuck out his hand, and received I'm the not, answer. We shouldn't. Yeah, yeah, we shouldn't. No, we no. shouldn't do it. Don't don't do it, Chris. I'm not even here. I believe in your ability <laughs> to not do it. Yeah, if I were here. Sure. I would totally go, where's the handle? Where is it? Help me find it. You are supposed to protect us. You are supposed to protect us, God. But never not funny. I'm not here, so I'm not going to do it. Thank God you're not. Right, well, that was good. How about the Aladdin trailer? It was a trailer. It yeah. certainly was. It was a, look, it, it was a better trailer than the last trailer. Yep. And um, that was a better trailer than the last trailer before that. It, they're getting better. Uh, the genie looks less like Dwayne Johnson in the Scorpion King this time around. You know, they've they've the CGI has improved. Right. I mean, it's Aladdin. They're, it's it's another Disney movie that 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 is obviously they're being quite faithful to the original. Mm-hmm. It's it r- right there. Reminded me of the original. Some people sing a bit of song. Yeah. And they yeah. do an okay job. I think. Yeah. Still not the Katie Price Peter Andre version. The <laughs> definitive version. Uh, if you haven't heard that version, go and check it out on YouTube. If you haven't heard that version, <laughs> you lucky, lucky person. There are two versions. I know there there's are two the, versions. The, there's the version where they use autotune. That's okay. And then there's a version where they don't use autotune. And that's so much better than okay. Check it out. Go to YouTube. YouTube is your friend. There's also some Aladdin casting news, wasn't there? There was, so, yes. So uh, Iago has been cast. And it is the voice of Alan Tudyk, animated good luck charm Alan Tudyk. <laughs> yeah, because this is the thing. He's become the John Ratzenberger of Disney animation. Mm, yeah. So does this mean he now becomes the John Ratzenberger of Disney live, live in inverted commas, versions of Disney animation? Yeah, he's been a, well, he was a robot in Star Wars, which is Disney. And he was a chicken in Moana. So it's good. Yay. Hurrah. Um, Let's keep it on the Marvel Disney train for a little bit longer. We should mention quickly Captain Marvel's box office, which was pretty stunning at the weekend. Now, there were a lot of very well-intentioned men, I have no doubt, (laughs) last week telling me that this movie was going to tank horribly because um, everyone hated Brie Larson and she's a bad person, according to these people and uh, it would appear that they are rather surprisingly a minority well helen you see the reason it's done so well is really all down to the female experience and let me explain that to you in great detail now (laughs) thanks james that will be super helpful oh no we've had to cut that out what a shame um but yes it was 455 million dollars worldwide 153 million in the u.s the biggest opening i believe for a female-led film ever worldwide which is pretty good going and uh, I know, yeah, I know. Even bigger than the Hunger Games movies. Worldwide, worldwide yes, because um, they, they did slightly better in the States, but only by a couple of million. What? 
And what's a couple of million here or there, you know? Sixth biggest opening of all time. Yeah. Marvellous. Marvellous indeed. And Captain Marvellous as well, which is um, fantastic news. But just imagine how much more it would have made Mm. had those whinging man babies actually bothered to show up. Oh, they 100% did. 455 million and $20. (laughs) Mm. Uh, They 100% all went to see it. I have no doubt whatsoever. Um, And that's why they've stopped bitching about it. Um, Also on the Marvel train, finally, and I swear this is the last one, um, we have been told that there are a couple of Stan Lee cameos in the bag that will appear in future Marvel films. So certainly for, I would guess, Endgame and I think we can assume Far From Home, there's still going to be the Stan Lee cameo. Also, I haven't played that game yet. Have you played the game where um, you go through Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse and spot all the stands? Because there are loads and loads of Stan Lee cameos hidden Mm. within the movie. I know of a few. So obviously there's the Stan Lee cameo, but he appears dotted throughout the film as, as extras and bystanders and whatnot. So the scene at the end of the the big chase where uh, Miles Morales and Peter B. Parker meet and they flump to the ground in New York and people walk over them, step over them. And Miles goes, thanks a lot, New York. Um, one of those people is, is Stan Lee. So that's hey. really cool. That's I really, really cool. like that. But if we are here, and I'm not here, but if I were here and we were talking about Marvel, then we should talk about Shang-Chi. Yes, for which there was some casting announced this was week. There? Mm-hmm. I'm astonished this film is still going ahead, but carry on. The casting of the director, no less. And who's directing it? Destin Daniel Cretton, who is the director of Short Term 12, which, weirdly enough, if you look at the cast of that movie, it seems to be some sort of the root of brilliance over the last few years, so... Brie Larson's the mm-hmm. star, Rami Malek is in it, they both have Oscars, Lakeith Stanfield, Stephanie Beatrice from Brooklyn Nine-Nine, and uh, Destin Daniel Cretton is the director of Shang-Chi. Now, Shang-Chi, if you don't know who that is, then don't worry, I didn't either, <laughs> and I'm a massive Marvel Comics fan, and I think I've read some stuff with Shang-Chi in it, but basically it was a character created in the 1970s at the height of, you know, Marvel were very... Uh, opportunistic at times, shall we say, in their creation of certain characters in the 60s and the 70s and the 80s. He comes from the Kung Fu craze of the 1970s. He is called the master of Kung Fu. He's an Asian-American character, and he has incredible Kung Fu abilities, uh, a dad with a dark, shady past, and also the ability to replicate himself as well. So that seems to be the only kind of super-powered thing going on Right, so what, the multiple man kind of thing? Kind of, yeah. Okay. I mean, I, you know, I need to go and dig into Shang-Chi a little mm, bit as a character, but clearly this is, you know, this is a really interesting development for Marvel. We don't know what their Phase 4, even if it's going to be called Phase 4, is going to look like after Avengers Endgame, which I believe is a sequel to Avengers Infinity War, Helen. You yes, I think that one. was right, Chris, yeah. <laughs> and, but it's going to be, certainly I think we, we know one thing, that uh, Marvel and Kevin Feige are very, very keen to increase representation in front of and behind the camera. And so this is a really interesting move. And clearly they feel that this is a character that's going to connect with, as Black Panther did, with, uh, and indeed as Captain Marvel did, with a huge, uh, a huge untapped audience out there who have never seen themselves represented on screen in yeah. a superhero movie before. And so this is really, really cool news. And Destin Daniel Cretton, you know, Short Term Twelve is fantastic. It's an amazing movie. If you haven't seen yeah. it, go see it. Go, go see, get hold of it. I think it's it, it is it it's, is out there. You can is. see it absolutely. Um, but yeah, phenomenal performances, and I think that's a really good thing as well. He can bring the drama into what could otherwise be a sort of you know fairly, you know, just martial arts movie. I think he'll bring the hu- the heart and the humanity into that as well. This also slightly maybe makes up for being true to the comics with Iron Fist, with Iron Fist yeah. when when they could actually have I think pushed that and made that a, yeah. an Asian American character and I think this is this is a step in the right direction for that me. was a huge missed opportunity for yeah. me and it's always quite nice to discover a new character in these films so it could be a blank yeah. slate a little bit yeah. I, honestly genuinely I know absolutely nothing about this character mm. and I mean you can cock a snook at them announcing a little known character all you like but we all kind of scoffed at them when they announced Guardians of the Galaxy and then a talking and tree came of that? was talking to a talking raccoon, and we were all like, you know, you're, you've got dust in your eye. So <laughs> they've got a track record of proving people wrong. Yeah, they do. Let's move on to some non-Marvel news, because we really should try occasionally. Taika Waititi, Time Bandits. Director of Thor Ragnarok. That's now, right. Now, let me tell you. <laughs> um, so this is, of course, an Apple TV adaptation of yes. the Terry Gilliam film. Of course. Film. Tell me about the film. 1981, directed by Terry Gilliam, co-written with our good friend, Sir Michael Palin, of course, who was on the podcast not two weeks ago. In fact, you can still check that out right now. So we didn't talk Time Bandits. 
Doe. If I'd had my sort of seeing eye into the future, maybe we would have talked about it, but who knows. Uh, so essentially, a young boy goes on a journey, an adventure through time, with a group of dwarfs who emerge from his closet. And it had an all-star cameo cast. You have the likes of John Cleese. You had Sean Connery in there as well. Really weird, mm. really funny, deeply, as you might imagine, given that it's Terry Gilliam, really deeply trippy. And the kind of kids film that because it's a kids film it's a kids film it is a kids film it centers on a kid but it's really dark and really gnarly in a way as well and the kid has a really interesting relationship with his parents but yeah it's fantastic really Mm. really great and absolutely ripe for a TV show because of the nature of Travelling through time, yeah. you know, it lends itself to this sort of episodic I mean, treatment. come on, what British TV show, for example, has ever succeeded in travelling through time to a new era weekly, <laughs> led by an eccentric person? Certainly nothing good. Oh my God, you are so anti-Doctor Who. Oh, I thought you meant Goodnight Sweetheart. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> wow. No, that was like the same time period. This is like many different time periods. Oh yeah, okay. No, no, mm-hmm. I'm just saying Nicholas Lindhurst, I mean, FTW. Yeah. <laughs> So, Taika Waititi would seem like a super good fit for it because, you know, anything he touches is awesome. Yeah. Some no. hot breaking news. Oscar Isaac confirmed uh-huh. that episode nine will be the end of the Skywalker saga, a fact that presumably someone on Earth didn't already know up until this point. <laughs> so thank you, Oscar, on behalf of that one person who lives in a cave. Thanks for, for clearing that up. It's good. Mm. But this was this was actually taken up by an awful lot of news sites. Including as, ours. As, including ours <laughs> as gospel. It's like, oh my God, have you heard this? And it's like, no, basically what's happened here is that Oscar Isaac has just read the press release <laughs> that Lucasfilm issued to mark the start of filming. Yeah. Where it literally says, the end of the Skywalker saga. I mean, in fairness, being allowed to discuss the press release is more than they've been allowed to do (laughs) for the past several films. As the person who has written about these films, I can attest to that fact. Also, there's every possibility that Oscar Isaac didn't know that until (laughs) recently. Because you you imagine that this is a situation where they only get the sides of the script that they're in. The day after they film it. Yeah, it's extraordinary. (laughs) It's all ad-libbed. It's it's kind of crazy. So he might not have known it was the end of the Skywalker saga until recently. It's entirely possible. All right, a couple more just to wrap things up. Um, Tom Holland and the Russo brothers. Wait, hang on a second. Is this another Marvel story? No, okay, okay, fine. Tom Holland, (laughs) not that one. No, not that one. The other one is going to re-team with the Russo brothers. The guy who fixed James's roof. No, not that one. The The historian. No, not that one. The director of Fright Night is re-team... Not the footballer either. Oh yeah, there's the five. Spider-Man. You see, someone uh, someone tweeted us this week saying there's a Thomas Thomas Holland who's uh, French. Ah, yeah. So we have a sixth if we oh, want. For God's sake. Anyway, the Spider-Man Tom Holland is reteaming with the Russo brothers, who of course directed him in that. What was that indie film you mentioned? He was in. Oh, um, something war, Avengers something, yeah. And uh, who he's recently worked with in Avengers Endgame. Um, he's going to be starring in their film Cherry. What can you tell me about this? I can tell you that this looks like the Russos have been setting up. They've got their own studio, Agbo Studios, mm-hmm. and they've been setting up their projects post Marvel. So I think it's fairly safe to assume that they're not going to be directing any more Marvel movies post Endgame. The last five, six, maybe even seven years of their life creatively have been dedicated to the MCU. So mm-hmm. they want to stretch their wings and, they, and this has given them a chance to do so. So they've set up their own studio and they've been kind of cherry picking people from the MCU to star in these movies. So they're, they're producing 17 Bridges, an action thriller with Chadwick Boseman. They're producing DACA. I don't mm-hmm. know if you know that, Helen. I, I am aware of that one, yeah. Uh, they're producing DACA, which is an action film starring Chris Hemsworth, the inferior CH. And now they're producing and possibly directing, I think this might be their first directorial movie post-MCU, Jerry, which will star Tom Holland as, and it's based on a kind of semi-memoir from this uh, American soldier called Nico Walker, who's currently in prison in the States because when he got back from Iraq... He was suffering from severe PTSD and that led him to opioid addiction and then that led him to committing crimes. Running around robbing banks. Running around robbing banks. Mm -hmm. And uh, now he's in prison, but he's written this book and it's being turned into a movie and Tom Holland's going to star in it and he's going to give good acting. Okay, wow. You're you're setting your stall out early on that one. I've seen the kids work. (laughs) He's pretty damn good. Well, that was a really nice roof he put on James's house. So. <laughs> he did a very good job with the tiling. <laughs> so that's good news. I believe you also had some Stephen King news you wanted to share. Yeah, so there's a 
great Stephen King book that he co-wrote with Peter Straub called The Talisman came out in 1984 it's a fantasy thing very dark fantasy thing takes place in several in parallel universes ours and a place called The Territories and it's about a young kid who ventures into this world and is looking for this thing the talisman of the title and it's one of those elusive King books that hasn't been adapted for the big screen or indeed the small screen, but it is going to be adapted. Mike Barker, who is a director on the likes of Fargo, the TV show, and The Handmaid's Tale, is going to direct this movie with Frank Marshall producing it. Ooh. So this is exciting stuff. Uh, yep. It feels like a you know we're in a sort of almost golden age of King adaptations, uh, if you don't count The Dark Tower. I do not. With which this has some similarities. But yeah, I'm excited about it. And just to finish off, very quick mentions, um, Richard E. Grant and Antonio Banderas have signed up to join the hitman's wife's bodyguard, <laughs> which I believe started shooting last week. So we've got pictures of online yeah. of Samuel L. Jackson, Ryan Reynolds and Salma Hayek reuniting because I think we all just really wanted to know what came of those characters mm. oh, whose those names characters. are so familiar to us all. It's, well, it's the new The Whole Ten Yards, isn't it? It's the sequel <laughs> we were absolutely <laughs> crying out for. But I mean, that's a heck of a lineup, right? That's a really good cast. So we've got and Morgan Freeman. He joined this week and as well. Morgan Freeman. That's yeah. quite hard to dismiss, actually. No? I mean, I feel like the whole nation is behind Richard E. Grant <laughs> in all of his endeavours now. That you know, is true. We'll yeah. all flock to see it just for him, and just yeah. I don't know. The real winner in all this, of course, is the hitman's wife's bodyguard's accountant. <laughs> <laughs> true. That's the third sequel. <laughs> <laughs> and. Um, Finally, Denzel Washington has signed on to a cop thriller called Little Things, where he plays L- a... Little Things. Little what He goes things. to Little and buys things. Thank you for making fun of my accent, you condescending English bastard. Anyway, Little Things, it's if you want. Sequel to Aldi Things. Is that a film? Aldi Things. <laughs> it's a film. He's starring in this film where he plays a sheriff um, or a sheriff's deputy yep. who tries to help a bigger city cop find a serial killer and he has a real eye for detail the little things if you will of the title <laughs> but may take some shortcuts which may cause some problems who knows that guy but a Denzel Washington cop thriller I think has got to be a good thing so yeah. fingers crossed for that as well alright I think we have exhausted news so let's have an interview um, Andrew Garfield is of course one of Britain's finest young actors um, he announced himself with Boy A and had a scene stealing turn opposite Robert Redford no less in Lines for Lambs a film that I'm the only person who liked um, <laughs> He followed that with smart and quality work on Never Let Me Go and The Social Network and then became, of course, The Amazing Spider-Man, which was kind of okay. He spent much of the last two years on stage in London New York in Angels in America, where he was absolutely superb. And he's now back on screen in David Robert Mitchell's Under the Silver Lake, which is the follow-up to It Follows. Uh, because it follows that when you make a successful <laughs> film, you have to make another one uh, to follow it up. So why not make an L.A. neo-noir? We sent along Ben Travis to meet him and find out more. Welcome to the podcast, Andrew Garfield. How are you doing? I'm very, very well. Happy to be here. Thank you for having me. You're here to talk about Under the Silver Lake, mm. which is an absolute trip of a <laughs> film. It is a real mind spinner. Mm. Uh, you play Sam. He's this kind of pop culture obsessed guy who's on this kind of uh, weird journey into who knows what. Mm-hmm. Um, what was David Robert Mitchell's pitch to you when he was first telling you about the film? Um, he didn't really have to pitch it to me. I... Um... You know, I'd seen It Follows, and I loved it, uh, and I'd seen The Myth of the American Sleepover, and I th- thought it was so unique and specific in its vision, and and then, of course, It Follows was just this kind of genre reinvention, and I was just so impressed with him as a filmmaker, and then I, I got sent this script for Under the Silver Lake, and it was as mind-bending in word as it was in deed, as it were, Uh and it is 160 odd pages, which is about 30 or 40 pages more than the usual script. It was like I, I, I like describing it. It's, it's as if like Sean Astin's character Mikey from The Goonies is far too old to still be going on adventures, but he still wants to. But now he's in a David Lynch film that's <laughs> set in a Los Angeles that's the antithesis of the La La Land Los Angeles, mm-hmm. um, like the deep dark underbelly of LA. And and I read it and I, I and I just thought this is. Um, totally marvellous and totally unique as I'm sure that you hear all the time and that you feel as a film journalist it's very very rare that you get a a unique piece of cinema in this day and age and uh, I thought well I love the Goonies and I love David Lynch 
and I love Los Angeles. And also I, I, I loved it because it was quite skewering of kind of Hollywood and a kind of patriarchal, abusive system. I think Sam sees himself as a Travis Bickle. I think he sees himself as this liberator. It's, he's fully deluded mm. in this self-assessment. But um, he sees himself as this like vigilante liberator of the divine sacred feminine in hollywood but actually he he has a tendency to perpetuate the um the same the same abuse in in an unconscious way perhaps but um i just found it really really interesting and late and, and as you say it's a mystery within a mystery within a mystery and there's no getting to the center of it i think that's maybe the point we're on a constant quest towards the center of things and um perhaps that's enough just being on the quest is enough how did you feel about Sam when you were reading the script? Because as you said, he's kind of an innocuous guy, but at the same time, he is really strange. And he's trying to find his neighbor, who is this woman that he like barely knows. And his entire life is now taken up with this quest to find her. How did you feel about him kind of reading him on the page? Well, as a, as a reader and as an audience member, I felt real sympathy for him because he's incredibly lost as, as far as I could see. But actually, uh, from a more subjective point of view in terms of as I was reading it of course I was thinking do I want to play this and this is this is a character that I want to explore and uh, it evidently was and I I've never done anything like it before I've never I've never played a kind of anti-hero in that way before someone who believes themselves to be a hero and maybe in certain situations could be and would be but um, I loved that he was lost I loved that he was a loser in the truest sense of the word I loved that he had all the privilege and all the opportunity and squandered it. I love that he became obsessed with something so superficial on like at, at first glance, but actually the obsession maybe is masking a greater devastation underneath. I think that the need to fixate on something shiny and bright and blonde and idealized and romanticized means that you're trying to remain a kid you're trying to remain in reality as it was when you were a child and things were binary and things were simple and things were you know the guy the good guy did get the girl and the you know i think he's a man that is a child um still resisting reality resisting being in reality as it is and i think um that's really fun to play and you know I, one of my favorite films of this kind of genre if it, if it if it's included in in any genre is um, the long goodbye with Elliot Gould who I just think is so stunning in that film like the performance in that film the kind of louche kind of gumshoe what does it all mean but also maybe it means nothing and going with the flow kind of hazy LA noir is such a fun and kind of sexy like environment and space to inhabit and I thought oh yeah I want to uh, and I, I was in the middle of shooting Hacksaw Ridge in, in Australia at, the, at that moment so I think it was a tonic to, to read something so opposite and I thought oh yeah I want to go and do that. When did the the shoot happen because I, I saw you the other year in Angels in America yeah. on stage which mm. was just the most incredible production I have no idea how you did that. Yeah I know. N- none of us <laughs> did I think it was uh, it was wild that we got through that but mm. thank you. Did you shoot this before or after Angels in America? Were you in that kind of stage mindset? Or, yeah, where, where were you when, when this shot? It was a really intense time. I um, So I just finished a film that Andy Serkis directed called Breathe. So we started in October, and we were shooting in L.A., and around that time is when all of the um, Oscar campaign stuff is happening, which is a full-time job mm-hmm. for anyone, I guess, fortunate enough to be in that position to have a film considered in in that way. And I was very lucky that year. I had two films that were, you know, that I'm really proud of. I'm really proud to be a part of. Hacksaw Ridge is one of them. And then Silence, the Martin Scorsese film. And so it was a very intense time in that really impossible to complain about way Mm -hmm. because everything was really (laughs) wonderful. I just didn't have the energy to really be in 18 places at once. Like I was making this incredibly wild and weird film with this incredible young filmmaker while simultaneously I was doing press for these two films that I was incredibly proud to Mm -hmm. be a part of and I, I really wanted to give myself to each each of those things and simultaneously I knew I was about to go into rehearsals for Angels in America in January mm-hmm. and I was a little 
spread thin um, and a little burnt out. So strangely, doing Silver Lake at that time was an antidote. I was able to go on set. I loved the crew so much. I loved them, the makeup in the hair department so much. It was like I was cozy at work for the first time in a, in a different way than I've ever been mm-hmm. because everything else was so intense at that moment. So Silver Lake was this kind of like place of rest for me in a strange way. And then um, we finished kind of early, early 2000. It must have been 17. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I went straight in. I, I went back to London. I went straight into rehearsals for this eight-hour masterpiece of a play, Angels in America. And I was just like jet lagged and just mm-hmm. kind of fucked. Really, I was just <laughs> I was I was on my knees. But then I get a call from David, the director, saying, "Hey, we just need a couple of pickup shots on mm-hmm. blah blah blah." And I'm like, "You fucking get! I can't." And I was having to fly back for Oscar stuff anyway. Mm-hmm. And it's it's all like you know dreams coming true. And all I wanted to do was like, you know, be in bed. Um, it, that's, I guess, how it, how it works out. So it was all kind of happening simultaneously. I mean, I imagine that feeds into to Sam a bit as well because he is mm. in a in a daze. He is in his own little yeah. world. So if you're kind of whacked out, totally. all this other stuff going on. Totally. I was trying to. I think that's smart. Yeah. I was I was trying to use it. I was mm. trying to just be like, I don't know. Like I'm kind of anally retentive when it comes to my work. Usually, I'm very I like very preparation focused, and I like to be so fucking prepared so that I can get onto onto set and totally let go and fully trust the moment. Um, with Sam, my process had to change because of circumstances, but also the film itself, I think there was a sense of like, oh, I just want to let myself be totally lost, totally spontaneous and be constantly questioning whether I'm in a dream or not. I think that, that was my, my main approach and that was really a really fun way to do it. One of my favourite scenes in the film is... Uh, I think I'm going to guess what you're going to say. Is the, it with the songwriter? It is with the songwriter. <laughs> um, that is just a, an incredible scene. I feel like we can sort of allude to it, and it's not really that spoilery because it's yeah. part of this whole mad journey. Go on, give it a try. Um, in that scene, there is some pretty out-there crazy gore. <laughs> How are you with all that stuff? Do you like getting kind of in with the icky blood stuff? What was it like shooting shooting that scene? Oh, I love it. That was really fun. Because I, I'm, not, I'm not a big like hammer horror kind of... I'm not a big gore like that's not the kind of movie I'm 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 usually into, mm-hmm. but having the opportunity to do it was a different story. I just, I I just it was such good fun. It was so wild and it was so weird because it's a it's a really intense sequence that songwriter sequence and it's also really intellectual and it's also really emotional and it's and it's incredibly violent and it's also oddly funny. Mm-hmm. So I mean if if that doesn't sell the weirdness of this film i don't know what will like it, it, it's i love that like how, how how often does 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 a scene like that get put together does a sequence mm. like that get put together it's so like it reminds me of that great film the square i, I love that movie and and the, and the and the the big sequence the centerpiece of that w- with the um the performance artist playing mm. the the gorilla like something like that where you, where you feel true unique danger or being captured on film, you're just like holy fucking shit. You feel like you're in the room. And I just and we were talking in the car on the way here. We just saw, you know, what well, I think one of my favorite films of this year was Free Solo. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for for many reasons, but it's 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 one of those things that you never that like I have never seen anything like that mm-hmm. on film. You know, I've seen incredible extreme sports documentaries, and I I love all that stuff anyway. But what he did, what this guy did, is unlike anything I think the world has ever seen. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting, interesting segue to the songwriter sequence in Under the Silver Lake, but I, well, I think one of the reasons why maybe you love it, I love it, is that it's it's totally its own thing. It's There are so many elements and dimensions to it, and it's so odd, and it's so weird, and it's so kind of uncategorizable mm-hmm. that I think, uh, you know, it's like, oh, it's like water in the desert for, for a cinema goer, because we're... we're, we're we're being fed the same thing over and over again for the most part. So, and you're a kind of a music guy, right? You, mm. you did the Arcade Fire video, mm, and mm. there's so many kind of guitars and instruments and things on set. Mm. Presumably, they were replicas. Yeah. Did you have any actual memorabilia there? Were you kind of no. geeking out around <laughs> we, the guitar? No, we couldn't afford any <laughs> yeah. memorabilia. It was uh, it was strangely a, a incredibly low budget film, but it doesn't look like it because mm. I think David really knows how to use the money well, and he wanted to make something that felt bigger and felt you know a bit wide, broader in scope than. It follows and Mythy, Mythy the American Sleepover. So no, it was uh, he filmed it really well. He filmed the props <laughs> and the sets very well. So channeling your inner Sam, what are your pop culture obsessions? Yeah, I, that's one of the other reasons why I loved the film. It was like there were so many things that lined up. You know, 
scenes where, where I got to play Super Mario Brothers with Topher Grace, mm-hmm. you know, that was like a surreal dream come true. But for me, my pop culture obsessions, oh god, they're they're quite far they're quite far far ranging. You know, I'm an '80s kid and. 80s movies are really my jam. Like anything with Michael J. Fox in it, from Teen Wolf to Secret to My Success, um, to The Hard Way, a, a, a little known. Do you, do you know that movie, The Hard Way? Yes. No, I've not seen it. I have yes. To track it down. <laughs> it's the fucking best. It's James Woods, who's mm-hmm. a super pro- problematic person at this point, but an incredible actor. And uh, Michael J. Fox. James Woods plays this hardened cop i think it's he's a new york cop and uh michael j fox plays an actor who is researching playing a cop mm-hmm. so it's like a it's like a buddy comedy and uh who's the, the bad guy is that who's the actor from who's the bad guy in avatar the main bad guy in avatar stephen lang stephen lang is the mm-hmm. bad guy he's he's, he's a bad guy called the party crasher Amazing. and his catch is <laughs> i'm gonna crash another party and it's really cheesy and it's really fucking good like it's just genuinely amazing uh, and then like you know tom hanks movies but like I, and i really like the more obscure tom hanks movies like um joe versus the volcano which you should see if mm-hmm. if, if anyone listening hasn't seen it um the burbs mm-hmm. which is just in- again like in that kind of like weird comedy horror mm-hmm. kind of genre i guess which is maybe is a little bit similar to silver like very kind of sub- suburban paranoia and mm-hmm. oh it's so so good um so it's all 80s stuff for me but then like um more recently, because like I'm on a sabbatical right now after the, doing the play, and because mm-hmm. I, I the, the the period I was describing to you, I, I, I really got burnt out, especially yeah. after this play. And um, so I've had like the last six months off, and I've really been catching up on a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. I've been watching a lot of stuff. What have you been watching? Oh man! Well, I binged the whole of Game of Thrones. Oh, God. which are you ready for the final season? I'm so every. Selling my body is ready. I I, can't, I and I I did it. So, I I'm so happy I did it because it's all so fresh. Because I, I watched it at the beginning of last year, right? Like in a month, um, <laughs> which is insane. But it was one of the best months of my life. Who do you think is going to end up on the Iron Throne? I, you see, I don't know, and I I don't really care. Like mm-hmm. I I just want to see it play out. You know, it's very rare that I get to just let go and and watch something unfold. So I'm really happy just to do that. I uh, I've been getting back into basketball. Okay. Cool. A lot. I love playing basketball, so I've been watching all my old favorite like bar- like white men white men can't jump, mm-hmm. which still holds up. Does it? Like the dialogue, the writing mm-hmm. in that film, like the dialogue in that, and Wesley Snipes has never been better, and Rosie mm-hmm. Perez obviously, and Woody Harrelson, but like, and the music and the basketball sequences, like I nerd out over that stuff. Mm-hmm. You're so, a massive Drag Race fan as well. I am. Yeah, I am. Yeah. Um, have you? Are you up to date on season eleven? Who I do you am. think is going to win? Uh, it's too early to say, but th- mm-hmm. it's a, it seems like a really strong season. And um, have you ever kind of hit up RuPaul or Michelle Visage to be a, a guest? Uh, <laughs> were you on the guest judges? They had Kumail Nanjiani last year. Yeah. Are you are you kind of pulling those strings? That that would be telling. Um, Michelle actually has become a friend. Mm-hmm. She came and saw Angels in America while while we were doing it in London because she's it's her favorite piece of theater and you know she lived through that time and she lost lots of friends during the AIDS epidemic of the 80s in New York that was you know she was in that scene and 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 we've become we've become friendly um I really think she's such a wonderful person and and you know so there's talk I think I think it would it would it might be the scariest thing to do mm-hmm. weirdly it's a weird thing like you kind of go, oh, you did eight hours of, you know, the hardest play imaginable in, imaginable in front of 1,400 people every night, and you're scared of going and hanging out with some drag queens. Yeah, but I'm fucking terrified of hanging out with those up. drag queens. I know. Like, that, that itself but that, is... But the mantra, like, <laughs> she's, like, she is such an inspirational... Uh, he, Rue, is such an inspirational figure. It's, uh, I know, it's... It's words to live by. One of my favourite um, little moments in the film, was, or just something that made me laugh in, in Silver Lake, mm. uh, is the moment where Sam's hand gets stuck to an Amazing Spider-Man mm. comic. Was was that your idea or, or David's? Um, I think it was in the script before I was attached to it. Really? Wow. And actually, when, I, when he asked me to do it and I said I wanted to, he actually... I brought it up. I was like, tell me about this moment. And he was like, I know, should we take it out? And I was like, no, 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 no. I fucking love it. <laughs> um, it's, it's, it, it, it gives me an opportunity to, to, to play with that meta thing a little bit. <clears throat> so no, I mean, like, it definitely wasn't intentional on his part, but maybe unconsciously it was. But um, 
I loved it. It, it, it was, it was, I love, I love that shit. Yeah. I, I mean, something the um, entire Empire office is still a, kind of completely obsessed with at the moment is Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. Yeah. Um, did, did you see it as a, as a fan of Spider-Man, obviously as a former yeah. Spider-Man? Did you see it? And, and what did you think of Spider-Verse? I did. And I loved it. And I thought it was, it's what Spider-Man should be wildly inventive, true to not just one, but several versions of the, of the character and, and the comics and uh for everybody and funny and irreverent and creative and i think maybe you can only really do that with an animation mm-hmm. they could take more risks and yeah i was envious <laughs> i mean that that whole multiverse concept is obviously hugely creative and gives them all these sorts of possibilities and mm-hmm. they mentioned the possibility of having obviously there are references to other spider-men mm-hmm. uh, but but were you asked did you hear anything no. in the production and would you pop up obviously they're making a sequel at the moment if they decided to take it that extra step of being that meta to have yeah real real spider-men cool you... i mean i mean i'm i'm forever a spider-man fan mm-hmm. I'm never going to compute that I got to play that part for two movies. I'm never mm-hmm. going to fully be able to understand that and comprehend that. So, no, I, I, I wasn't uh, talked to about it, but, um, you know, we'll see. I mean, like, to be honest, I'm really happy just being a fan again. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. I mean, um, in both Spider-Verse and in Captain Marvel that's just come out in mm-hmm. cinemas, um, there are some lovely tributes, obviously, to, to Stan Lee. Mm. Um, did you meet Stan Lee on mm-hmm. either of the Amazing Spider-Man films? Yeah, on the what, first one. Really? What, what, what are your memories of, of Stan Lee and, and your meeting with him? I mean, he was, like, larger than life. He was, he was like Mickey Mouse. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? In the sense yeah. of, like, he's a symbol. And I think he was comfortable with that. Like, you know, we were all just in awe of him, and he was this kind of cartoon character of of joy and creativity and soul and heart and everything that he wrote into those comics is just so you know again it's like ideas and ethics to live by very simple mythological ideas and uh so 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 just to be in his presence was like it was like being with mickey mouse in a good way in like the best way he's just a cuddly guy and uh yeah I'm I'm very very grateful that I got to spend any time with him. Mm-hmm. Um, just to to go back to something you mentioned before, um, Topher Grace is in Under the Silver Lake. Yeah, and um, something that I one of my recent pop culture obsessions is all these reports about Topher Grace editing other films. Um, really? So he he said recently in an interview that um, after Black Klansman having Ooh. to play David Duke and the, the heaviness of that, that to get over it, he retreated to his house and edited all three Hobbit films into one film. What? And he's done the same thing a few years back with the Star Wars prequels. What? And he recently uploaded to the internet over a weekend, him and a friend edited this like five minute Star Wars trailer covering the entire saga so far. Oh my God. Um, but it was his sort of like channeling the entire I had no idea. That's crazy. So, <laughs> I wanted to ask if you'd seen any of that stuff. No. And I'm, I'm just desperate to see what those, what the, what the Topher Grace cuts would be. Oh my God. I had, I had no idea <laughs> that he was that much of a geek. <laughs> he is um, apparently. That's incredible. You learn something new every day. I really liked Topher. I really liked spending time with him and hanging out with him. I really liked working with him and, I think he's a brilliant actor, obviously, and has had a kind of a, a wild ride of a life. But that's that's that adds wildness to the wildness. Uh, that's really funny. How interesting! Gosh, you were talking about not being able to compute that experience of of being Spider-Man. Yeah. I mean, on top of that, you've worked with some of the most like iconic directors around. Yeah. Um, I want to just quickly touch on on Silence, which you mentioned before. That's mm. such an incredible film that it really feels as much as it got kind of. Um, lots of critical praise and stuff when it came mm. out that sort of Scorsese film I think is the type that kind of grows in stature and that people mm. kind of continue to, to discover over time mm-hmm. what are your reflections on working on silence and, mm. and do you have people who come up to you and say I, I finally got around to watching that like <laughs> yeah. it's kind of mind-blowing yeah 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 I um, you know it's a film that and it's a period of time that lives in me in a way you know that you know how you have those periods of time that, that just like are so deeply ingrained in your like body memory that you can just kind of like you can put your hand on it and go oh gosh yeah wow that was an amazing thing and uh I'm so happy that I get to carry that with me and I'm happy that I get to carry it as a experience and um you know not only working with him which is a, a dream come true for any actor 
but getting to know him as a human mm-hmm. being and getting to know the, the the workings of his mind and how he creates but then not only that on top of that working on such material you know it's the same thing i feel about angels in america in the sense that you're working with ideas and themes that are universally human and and are um larger than you as an individual and uh that's what great art is to me that's what great storytelling is to me is that when it even if it's about something very specific like portuguese missionaries in japan in in the 1600s it's about everyone and i think that's where i get excited about what i do as a as a as an actor as a storyteller is that you know and the same thing with angels in america you know you you kind of like you leave the theater every night and you see people that are changed by watching a story that have their minds opened or they have their hearts cracked open or um are more in touch with themselves than they were previously and i think that's the effect that those kinds of great art stories have and silence is definitely one of those and i you know i'm very lucky very grateful and um yeah yeah it's a beautiful thing having got to know him what's something that people wouldn't expect about martin scorsese <laughs> how constantly funny he is and how mm-hmm. constantly lightly ribbing he is of everyone and everything and for the most part he wants an ebullient light joyous vibe on set <laughs> like and he'll make inappropriate jokes at the wrong time <laughs> and i fi- i found that really endearing and and wonderful and also he has the most sensitive ears you've ever come across <laughs> like he there are moments like where he will require absolute pin drop silence on set oh, really? because he's so attuned to everything all the time he's so attuned and so sensitive he's mm-hmm. so, he's such a sensitive tender man and he just picks up on everything. And so just to wrap things up, you, you were saying that you're kind of on a bit of a sabbatical at the moment or taking mm-hmm. some downtime. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, through your career, you've done these all-out blockbusters. You've done mm-hmm. these kind of really large-scale character dramas, these more intimate indie films. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of beyond this break, wh- where's your head at? What, what's kind of calling to you at the moment? No, I like that. I like that question. Because um, it is does feel like calling. That's what it's like it's hard to listen when you're running around all the time mm-hmm. so i'm it's nice to stop and look out the window of the train and kind of take in the surroundings a bit and listen a bit deeper I, and i don't know right now like there are a couple of projects that i'm going to be doing which i'm really excited about one of them is a film called um, mainstream which i've been working on with gia coppola mm-hmm. for a couple of years we've been kind of um kind of writing it together with uh, with another friend of ours tom stewart and uh that's been a passion project for her and she's become a friend so i'm gonna you know throw my hat in the ring and help help her get that vision realized and it's something that's been she needs to just get out of her it's Mm -hmm. um it's heavy in the sense that it it's um it's about uh modern culture it's about celebrity culture it's about um hero worship worshiping the wrong heroes Mm -hmm. and it's about the toxic waste that is being force-fed into our bodies through social media but it's also a love story and it's also about ego and it's Mm -hmm. also about uh, our interconnectedness so like so it's quite ambitious and um that's very timely yeah i think it's very it's very of now and that's what gia is amazing at she's amazing at capturing a moment and she's very uh, finger on the pulse of what's happening with um, young people right now especially Mm -hmm. she's very kind of in touch with youth culture and so that's really exciting um and then there's another film that i'm not i'm not allowed to talk about yet which i'm really excited about and it's (laughs) a very yeah it's a very different i've never done anything like it before and Mm. um that's getting harder and harder to find things that i've never done before and that's all i'm looking for so so that's what's calling to me stuff that i've never done and uh yeah i'm curious i'm curious to see what that's going to be well, whatever it is, I can't wait to see it. Thanks, man. And Thank uh, you. I really hope you get to see some of those Topher Grace cuts. Oh, my God. I'm going to look out for them, yeah. <laughs> cool. Thank you so much, Andrew Thank Garfield. You. Cheers. Cheers. Man. So, review time. We may as well kick off, I guess, with Under the Silver Lake. Uh, John, what can you tell me about this? I, I don't know, to be honest. I mean, I've seen this film and I don't know what to make of it, what to think of it, what happens, what, what happens in the end, <laughs> who the characters are. I haven't completely baffled by this film uh i don't know if i like it or not 
Um, hmm, great. I, Professional film critic John Nugent. No, no, but I think this is this is really tied into the DNA of this film. I think it's quite specific, and and the Empire Review by Ben Travis really gets into this into into how it's sort of almost an unknowable film. I mean, I'm maybe I'm overstating it, but so the basic plot is it's a it's a neo noir, as you say. Uh, it, it's very much in this sort of 1940s 1950s tradition, but, but set in the modern day. But set in the modern day, it's got a sort of millennial spin. Andrew Garfield isn't a private detective as such he's just a sort of la slacker he smokes a lot of weed he spies on his neighbors and he doesn't he sort of reads conspiracy zines and just sort of hangs out and he's and 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 then he meets his new neighbor played by riley keogh um and then she suddenly disappears and he doesn't know what happens to her and that this sets him off on a long sort of mystery trail but it's sort of all is not what it seems and continues to not be what it seems throughout the movie and gets increasingly less what it seems as it goes on until you sort of reach a point where you, there, there are so many different threads and sort of mysteries that go unexplained. There's this r- weird subplot about a, a dog murderer who just goes around killing local dogs. Ew. There's so many sort of oddities to it. It's a very surreal film and... I don't know if it's satisfying. Um, I don't want to say too much because here's the thing. It, it's divided a lot of people. It premiered at Cannes and some people thought it was a masterpiece. Some people thought it was awful. Um, there are some people who think that it's a really clever satire on toxic masculinity, which I think it does aspire to be. There are some people who criticise its use of female characters. Um, pretty much all of the female characters serve the goals of of the male protagonist if you mm-hmm. see what i mean they're all you know victims or prostitutes or that sort of thing that it's problematic in some ways but it's also kind of it's one of those films that throws everything at the wall and sees what sticks and you kind of have to respect that i mean yeah. it's visually really really powerful it's got a really strong color palette mm. it really sells la as this sort of mysterious magical land and Andrew Garfield's very good in it. Yeah. So, all right. I, I don't know. It's it's <laughs> like we gave it three stars, but is that good? Is that bad? What well, that, that is a recommendation. That, apparently, that's a recommendation. But is it? I don't. How, I'm wow. I'm completely lost. Are you okay, John? No, I'm not. I think I think I'm he's really having, I think he's having an existential crisis. Um, to be honest, the last time I had one of those was when I saw Speed Racer, and I came out and I was like, <laughs> I mean, it's somewhere between a one and a five, and yeah. I have I yeah, have yeah. no idea. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so that's where I am. It's it's between a one and a five. It's between a one and a five. We gave it three, exactly halfway between a one and a five, which is a recommendation. And Andrew Garfield, if he's good in it, then certainly yes. if you're an Andrew Garfield fan, then it's probably one for I you. I love him. Okay, so next up, we have a remake of a Mel Gibson comedy, which is a weird thing to say. <laughs> um, what Men Want. Yes, that's right. The women have taken over this too. Is what? It, are, you, are you about to woman explain to us what men want, Helen? Is that what's about to happen? I know all about it now because I've seen this film, you see. <laughs> yeah. So um, is this better than the Mel Gibson What Women Want? <laughs> it's hard to say because that hasn't... Whoa, that? Siri just... just uh... <laughs> Siri just answered that question. Okay. <laughs> what did she say? I think she said, that's a good question, James. <laughs> all so right. she's being patronising and rhetorical. Wow. And, Helen, uh, and Helen's about say? to do the same, so yes. carry on. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> I think in the patronising stakes, one of us has scored more points than the other today. All right, anyway, go on, go on, go on. Is it better? Um, I would put it on a par with, to be honest, unhelpfully. <laughs> I know, but it is very much a, a pretty straight adaptation. So Taraji P. Henson is our heroine, if that is the word. She's a sports agent. She is extremely aggressive in her life. And she goes to a Hindu, talks to a psychic, played by Erica Badu, being extremely weird, which I enjoyed, and also bangs her head. So was it the psychic or was it the head banging that prompted her to suddenly be able to hear men's inner thoughts, yeah. um, which all come neatly delivered in sentences in the way of the Mel Gibson one, which I'm not sure is really how people think. It's not how people think. I had 25 thoughts while we were thinking about that. Right? Exactly. All of them were about Avengers Endgame. Uh, one of them was about sex. <laughs> yeah. But the other 24, yeah. Oh, no, two of them were about Liverpool. Okay, um, sex and with that kind of links to the sex thing. Anyway, sex with which member of the? Never mind. Moving on. Um, so, Van Dyke. So she, anyway, she can hear men's thoughts. It's kind of a weird story. She does become slightly less boorish because I think the film you know, takes a very good decision of actually making her quite awful to begin with. 
Um, there is a there is a hilariously bad sex scene, which is you don't <laughs> often see in Hollywood movies. But at the same time, then she kind of learns that maybe she doesn't need to be quite such a ball breaker to get ahead in life. Right. But there's an interesting thing here because, of course, in the Mel Gibson film, he was taking advantage of the power structure that he had benefited from and suddenly learning about the fact that other people might not have the same advantages he does. Mm. Whereas I think she's already very, very keenly aware of the fact that she doesn't have the same advantages. So it's not, it doesn't have that other level of learning to be a better person. It's just literally, she's not a very nice person. So you're saying it lacks the deep subtlety analogy and subtext that the Mel Gibson film has? Hey, that's a Nancy Myers film. So there is a little bit of subtext there as well as Great Kitchens. Um, (laughs) Such good kitchens though. Seriously, have you seen her films? Oh my God. Anyway, so there's there's a lot going on as well. It's a quite a long film. It's verging on two hours, which wow. for a comedy Adam, is a little bit long. Adam Shankman directed this one. Exactly, yeah. yes. Okay. So, I mean, I like him for The Wedding Planner. I don't like all of his films since necessarily quite as much. Mm-hmm. But this isn't bad. I think it's, um, it's a mix of stuff. There's a lot going on, sometimes too much. It feels like a few people have been kind of cut out or cut mm. down quite significantly. Mm. But, like, her relationship with Aldous Hodge's Will is, is really nice. He's the typical sort of dreamy love interest in this kind of film. Mm. There's a lot more workplace stuff than romantic stuff, which is pretty much as it should be and as it was in the Mel Gibson um, and it's not bad and I, she's very very good I'm astonished that a movie that delves into men's inner thoughts is somehow about two hours long it's not that much about sex I mean there's quite a lot of sex chat right you know we do talk, start at a hen do at one point with you know inflatable penises and all sorts but there's not as much sex chat as you would think and even though she's at a you know sports agency there's not as much sports chat as you would think so it's all got getting into the fact that you know men have real problems too and insecurities man <laughs> but that's it like you know sex and sports and what else is there mm. what's left what's left to think about oh my god Almost you're nothing. so 2d in men i'm having watched this film i'm so much more woke on that respect. i'm disappointed they weren't all just arguing dc versus marvel continuously in their heads that seems more a more accurate depiction happily, if the internet is to be believed well that is true happily none of them were so uh, it gets three stars release um, the snyder oh, cut just thought about sex again you really shouldn't feel obliged to keep, keep us up posted, to date. Keep yeah. Mm. No, don't, don't. Mm. Um, okay, next up we'll talk about the directorial debut of Simon Amstel. John, what can you tell me about Benjamin? Technically, it's not his directorial debut. I, I mean, he did uh, a, a TV film for the BBC iPlayer. That called. doesn't count. That doesn't John, John count. that film was very good, but we're all about the Benjamin. <laughs> James hasn't seen any of the films this week, but it's been worth it. And in fact, neither have I. I've been away. I've been away. I was in New Orleans, as anyone who's been following me on Instagram would know. But it's worth it, James, because you've been working on that and you've been just waiting to crowbar it in. Waiting to drop it in there. Now, in my defence, I have both Under the Silver Lake and Benjamin Screener Links, which I could have watched had I not had to watch approximately 25, 25 hours of television for the Pilot TV podcast. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. If only you could prioritise a podcast that is actually tethered to, oh, I don't know, your day job. Who yeah. knows? Hey, speaking about podcasts, has anyone listened to the new Q podcast? I, I am aware that they have a brand spanking new one, which has just dropped. Uh, the world's biggest mu- mu- movie... No, that's us, isn't it? We're the movie yeah. magazine. The yeah. world's biggest music magazine, uh, Q, uh, have, have started their own podcast, and they'll be taking weekly deep dives into the histories of popular beat combos. Uh, and Sleaford <laughs> yes. Mods are the first one, so it's, uh, it's good. Yes, Jason from Sleaford Mods. See, I've learned all about it now because I've listened to Have it. Have you? Yeah. We should point out, of course, that they're not taking our format, unlike some other podcasts. They're not just ripping off our format. And No, that's actually not true. Doing the that. first half of it is dedicated to Avengers Infinity War. <laughs> it was really, really surprising, but Sleaford Mods have a lot to say about that. So I'm just about to put that podcast into my podcast queue. That's great, Chris. But, John, if you remember, it was about six weeks ago, was talking about (laughs) Benjamin, the new film from Simon That's right, films. Films. (laughs) Specifically, the film Benjamin is what we're talking about now. Tell Uh, us about the film Which is uh, uh, Simon Amstel's directorial debut. He did direct uh, a film called Carnage, which was just for the iPlayer, which was about vegans uh, or something. Um, (laughs) Wow. (laughs) It imagined a future where vegans ruled the world, essentially. So it's like Scott Pilgrim too. Uh, I guess so. The vegan police were were very strong. But no, this is Benjamin. It's much more uh, down-to-earth. It's a sort of sweet, simple uh, gay love story with with layers of sort of meta self-referentialness because the main character is a director. And this is Colin Morgan's character. Colin Morgan's character, who's kind of, um, I guess, a a surrogate for Simon Amstel. He's... You could almost see Simon Amstel playing him. It's a bit like, you know, how Woody Allen would cast people... In, in a role that is essentially him. Mm. And there is a sort of similarity in Woody Allen. I know that that 
name doesn't carry quite as much uh, positive connotations anymore. But that that you know that sort of social anxiety, meditations on on love and art, that sort of thing. You know, it, it's quite a low key film. It's maybe a little bit slight, but if you've ever seen Simon Amstel stand up or his um, sitcom Grandma's House, then you'll get a sense of what this kind of film is. There's a lot of themes about the self worrying about love, whether mm. it's possible to love properly. And Benjamin is, you know, he's a great character. Um, it deals in the comedy of cringe a lot. There's a lot of um, very uncomfortable scenes, which... It gets full partridge. It's a little bit partridge. It's a little bit The Office. Um, but ultimately, it is a love story. It's a sort of unconventional romantic comedy, I guess. It's very good. I, I don't know that it's great. I, I It did feel a little bit underwhelming. It sort of went in a sort of slightly more obvious way towards the end i know uh, ian freer who wrote the the empire of you felt a bit warmer on it mm-hmm. i think he gave it four he i did? Yeah. i would have gone three perhaps just because i wanted maybe a bit more from it it felt slightly unambitious in places but it's very funny it's very sweet uh, it's very charming and uh yeah so that's four stars for benjamin three each for under the silver lake and what men want also out this week fisherman's friends which is the unlikely but real life story of a bunch of fishermen uh, and the question of whether they get a record deal. And the Lucas Hedges, um, Julia Roberts addiction drama, Ben is Back, which got three stars. And that is, of course, a recommendation. Fantastic performances from both of them. And that is it for this week's Empire podcast. Uh, we will, of course, have an Avengers Endgame trailer spoiler special, which shouldn't be more than three or four hours, I think, going up uh, as well this week. The Captain Marvel spoiler will also be up We'll have bonus content. We're going to record a little bit extra, you and I, as well, uh, as we do the Avengers thing. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Can I just point out, plane on the way over to New Orleans this week, I watched three movies in a row. Well done, me. I watched Overlord. Uh I watched The Old Man and the Gun. And I watched Instant Family. And they're all, in their own way, aces. Check them out. Thanks for that, Chris. You have to buy a flight to do so, but check them out. Did you go and get beignet, like I told you to? No, I didn't, because I was on the set that I was on for two days straight. They imprisoned Ben Ye. Is that what happens out. when Ben Affleck starts dating Kanye West? <laughs> wow. <laughs> so, well, that's a stretch. Um, they are, of course, <laughs> if you've seen the movie The Princess and the Frog, she makes beignets in her in her cafe at the beginning. They're kind of no. New Orleans oh, donut. I, I, I didn't know that's how they were pronounced. Yeah. I've had mm. those, yeah. Yeah, they're super was, good. Yeah. Anyway. Next time. And speaking of next time, next time on the Empire Podcast, we will have Winston Duke who is here to talk about us, which is something I've wanted to talk to him about for a really long time because he never calls, he never texts. And sometimes I wonder if there's an us at all. Do you know what I mean? Um, But we're also going to have Oleg Ivenko and Ray Fiennes who are going to talk to us about the white crow. Sorry, yes. What? No. (laughs) Here I am trying to get to it. Jesus. Oh, bless your heart, Anne. (laughs) We'll also have Oleg Venko and Ray Fiennes to talk to us about The White Crow, which is the Nureyev story that Fiennes has directed and Venko stars in. And until that joyful day, it's goodbye from Chris. I'm not even here. Okay. Goodbye from... Great job. Thanks, Chris. Goodbye from John. Goodbye. James. I'm playing the part of you, so I'll go toodaloo. Thanks. And it's goodbye from me. I am off to practice meditation. Um, teaching myself the value of patience while looking at pictures of Cap's beard to manage this impossible weight. See ya.